This week on Prepping 2.0. I wasn't trying to hide or look weak. I was walking with confidence, my head's up. I'm moving forward at a normal pace, but I wasn't overly making eye contact with people. I wasn't trying to stare them down or anything like that. Thankfully, I didn't run into anybody. But at one point, I was walking through a construction site, and I just walked through like I own the place, and nobody said a word to me. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. I think the best way to learn is from a story of what actually happened to a person. We have that today. Our guest is Chris DeWallet, a writer at Ammo.com. He tells us about getting his mother-in-law out of Ukraine and the prepper lessons he learned for it. And as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you didn't. So Glenn, we can feel it. Summer is dwindling and going away really quickly. The words I hate to hear, back to school, like Target ads and stuff, back to school. It's like, why are you harshing my incredibly good summer vibe? So one cool thing that can happen during this time is you can plant your fall garden. What? Folks, if you're listening to the show right now, you have about 24 hours. Go to our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates. Go over to Survival Garden Seeds. They have allowed you and me to get an extra 10% on their fall garden seed collection. I encourage you to go over there and do that. I have planted Brussels sprouts and cabbage and carrots. And Those are so- fall crops. These are all crops that do really well in the cooler weather, which is great because you'll be having veggies in November. So get on it if you want to get an extra savings on your fall garden seeds. Top 100 items that disappear first. This is a list from Bosnia survivors. The entire list of all 100 is at our website, prepping 2 Zero.com under the appropriately titled heading top 100 list of things this week it's number 27 aluminum foil think of all the uses for aluminum foil there are including a hat well we're not going to use it for that because it's no. too valuable for that hey i just know from all of my camping and backpacking experience in my younger years you can cook in it you can put food in it and put that food into coals and have it cook overnight. And it's reusable. It's reusable. Not, you try putting food in a plastic sandwich bag and put it on coals. That's not going to no, work, well. work very well. it's not going to work very good. We're experts, so listen to what we there's have to say. There's the heat radiancy. You can harvest some... Um, heat radiancy. Heat radiancy? Uh, there's heat, some heat radiancy. Con- oh, sorry. Heat conductivity. You can do some like solar kind of cooking and some foil thing. Yeah, you can do some pretty amazing thing with foil. So get some of that in your preps. Here's what you missed from a recent after show if you're not a Patreon. World history indicates that this rough narrative of foreign wars that create economic problems that incite divisions that are already there can lead to bad outcomes. Yeah, we're not fiction writers making this up. We're just looking at world history. Now, that's what $2 a month can get you. How do you do this? You go to prepping2-0.com and click the Patreon button. Well, let's get into it. You've got to hear this story to believe it. Chris Wallet is a writer over at ammo.com. Chris, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Shelby Glenn, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I have been into firearms for pretty much my entire life. My dad taught me how to shoot at six. Then when I got my own money, I started expanding my collection. I got into reloading. By trade, initially, I was a biochemist for about 12 years, but I kind of fell into writing for ammo.com. It's a dream I've always wanted to have, uh, and I was able to realize that, so it's been a real blessing in my life. And the story today, obviously, about talking about getting my mother-in-law out of Ukraine. I met my wife, Julia, in Ukraine in 2016, and I was able to bring her here to the United States legally, I might add. In 2018, we're married, been to Ukraine over seven times, spend either time with Julia or for work. And my wife's hometown, which is kind of important if you're not familiar with Ukrainian geography, is right between the conflict zone right now where they're kind of sitting at in Kherson and between there and Odessa, the name of the town's Nikolaev. So to put it bluntly, I've been there a couple times and it's quite a story to say the least. Paint a picture for us with a timeline. Let's probably start with the war beginning in February 2022. I remember that day. It's a day I'll never forget when my wife came to me crying and telling me that there were explosions happening all across the country. And we had actually been there a month and a half before. So, I mean, we just missed this because we went and we spent Orthodox Christmas there with her mother. And uh, of course, we'd heard about the buildups in the border and 
honestly, we thought it was just going to be another one of these times where they build up troops on the border, concessions are made, and nothing happens. So it was quite a surprise. Of course, in the beginning, they were bombing all around the country, and there was fighting in the streets pretty much everywhere. And I remember my wife being on the phone with her mother, could literally hear the gunshots through the phone. It was nuts, to say the least. And so there is a military base in Nikolai for hometown. So that was obviously a big target in the beginning. And of course, at that time, everybody was trying to get out of Ukraine. That was the big thing. And it was a little tricky to get her out. And this, I think, is a really important lesson is being ready to go, having that bug out bag ready. And I literally told my wife when this started happening, like, honey, you've got to get your mom to get a suitcase ready to go. It needs to have food, water you know, any medication she has, extra set of clothes, because if we can find a way to get her out, she may need to leave at the drop of a hat. And it was pretty crazy those first couple of weeks when this conflict was going on. We were able to get her out while I was here in the United States. But of course, the meat of our conversation is going to be talking about how I got her here to the United States, which is another story. But basically through a mutual friend of mine that I had through this process of meeting my wife, he knew somebody with a car, uh, we were able to coordinate to get her picked up, and uh, we were able to get them to Slovakia, actually. And then they went from Slovakia to Prague, and then from Prague to Gdansk, which is in the uh, northern part of Poland. And so she stayed there for a couple of months until we learned how we were actually able to get her here to the United States, which was a very confusing thing in the beginning stages of the war. You mentioned something that I want to amplify, and that is your mother-in-law knew someone with a car. That seems to imply that having networks of people, just even friends, I mean, network makes it sound so formal like James Bond or something like that. Tell us about the importance of having a network of people you can trust. I think that if you're a prepper and this is something that you take seriously, you have to understand that you're not gonna be able to do everything by yourself. There are only so many hours in the day and you can't be on watch, you know, getting things put together, that sort of thing in a disaster scenario, you're gonna have to have that network of people that you can rely on. And when the chips are down and the Russians are knocking at the door, obviously you need people that you can trust that aren't going to do nefarious things to you because there were some people that were taking advantage of people in the early stages of the war, it's really sad. But yeah, I knew people, like I said, from my time when I was dating and, you know, uh, courting my wife that really paid dividends down the road. So I would say if you're a prepper, building relationships now when there's not a disaster scenario or anything like that going on can pay huge dividends down the road when you can call up John and say, hey, John, I know you know some people over there. Do you know anybody who has a car? I'm trying to get my mother-in-law out. Do you know anyone? And sooner or later, you ask enough people, you'll find the right connection, and it can mean the difference between life and death. Outstanding. We'll continue with your story. Yeah, so we get her into Poland, and we're basically sitting here in the United States. I'm going, what can we do, right? So, of course, we're helping her because she doesn't have a job there in Poland. She's a refugee at that point. And housing, things like that were tricky to find. We're able through, thankfully, we had some of her family there. Her father's family was there, her father, meaning my wife's father, and we're able to get her place to stay. But of course, we wanted to bring her to the United States. And there was no clear pathway for that in the beginning of the war. I called senators, I called representatives, and they're like, well, you know, you can do the family reunification visa, this, that and the other. I'm like, yeah, but the wait times on that are like, what, about six months to a year? Yeah, that's true. So I'm like, okay, that's really not a reasonable way to do it. You can't get a tourist visa for friends and family like this, uh, especially those coming from Ukraine. It's been an issue for a long time. It's just not possible. So there really were no options for us, but yet we had heard about the provisions from the government, from the president saying that, yes, we'll take on 200,000 refugees. We're not going to tell you how we're going to do that, but we're absolutely going to do it. And if you can sense my sarcasm there, it was kind of a point of frustration for us because I had heard other people trying to get visas for their family members to come here and they were all being denied. So it was kind of like the typical political doublespeak where they're talking out of one side of their mouth and saying something different out of the other. And so eventually I was in a Facebook group, actually, again, with other guys who had went overseas to, you know, meet their wives. And this gentleman was looking to get his daughter-in-law out of Ukraine. And so they were in Germany 
they even went with her to the embassy to try and get her visa to be able to come to the United States, and they were unsuccessful with multiple attempts. So eventually what they ended up doing was they brought her to Tijuana on the southern border in Mexico, and they were able to claim humanitarian parole at the border and were able to get her in the United States. And so my wife and I had a conversation about this. I remember it very vividly. It was at the end of March in 2022. My eldest daughter had just finished the first half of her spring break. She was was going to her mother for the second half of spring break. I remember the call talking with my wife saying, honey, I think this is our ticket. Do we want to do this? And she says, yeah, it sounds like a good idea and it may be our only chance. And so that was kind of the moment we made the decision, okay, we're going to do this. And the wheels started moving quickly. Like I got my ticket to get to Warsaw that night. I called my parents because I was going to need some help covering with my daughter, with our dog, things like that. My wife was in nursing school at the time. So She couldn't come with me, so I had to do this all by myself. And I think this comes down to the first big lesson that I can give for preppers is don't be afraid to ask for help when you're in a situation like this. Because like I said earlier, we can't do everything all the time. And having that community is so essential to any survival situation. Oh, my gosh. It's this, just, we're getting warmed up. This is just the beginning. So we're going to take a quick, like, mental break here and give a quick shout out to our awesome sponsors over here at Prepping 2.0. You can check all of our sponsors out at Prepping2-0.com. Click on Friends and Affiliates, and over there you will find Pro One Water Filters. Oh, my gosh, such a great resource. Katie Armor stands for Come and Take It Armor. Keep listening. You might see a reason to have some armor on hand. Backwoods Home Magazine, New Mana Foods. Minutemen Coffee. EMP Shield protects your home or car from an EMP or CME. Paul Burke, realtor out of Idaho, who specifically looks for prepping properties for first responders. You can find him at firstresponserealty.com, powered by Fathom Realty. And don't forget, our famous producer has his own service. You can That's find right. him at podcastaccess.com. I wanted to make an observation and then have you keep telling this story. It seems that Going to the embassy didn't work, but going to Tijuana did. <laughs> yeah. that, that seems like kind of a messed up thing. You know, I don't want to give away the ending of the story, but things turned out well. So I'm glad your mother-in-law got here. But um, yeah, for it's, sure. it's completely messed up. But hey, this isn't, uh, you know, political stuff. This is just human lessons from actual human situations. So keep going. No, you're, you're very right. It seemed kind of backwards, to say the least, but this was the only way that people were able to start crossing. And of course, my wife was in about every telegram group she could find with people coming across the border. And at that point in time, everybody was going to Tijuana. And so I'm like, all right, well, that's our ticket. And I, I spoke to the gentleman. It was a very simple procedure. And again, I, I just want to emphasize all of this was completely legal and by the rule of law. There's nothing nefarious going on here. Because I know there's a lot of talk about, oh, we crossed the border, right, and the southern border. And, of course, there's a lot of nasty stuff going on there. What we were doing is completely legal. You can look this up. If someone comes to a port in the United States, they can claim humanitarian parole, which basically says they can come in here for a year, but they're not eligible for all of the refugee benefits that people sometimes get in and not about. So in any case, we made the decision literally that night. I packed up my bag and I packed really light. And I think that's something important to remember that a lot of people don't think about when they're putting a bug out bag together is weight. Thank you. Carrying around a ton of weight is going to slow you down immensely. And I basically just packed a backpack for my carry on and that was it. I didn't bring anything else with me. I didn't bring a computer. I just brought like my cell phone charger and the plug converter that I knew I was going to need when I was in Europe. And that was pretty much it. And so that's a really important thing to think about when you have a situation like this. If you are planning on a potential bug out, weight's a big issue. So be aware of that. So packed really light. I drove up to Chicago the next day. I live in central Indiana. Uh, I've been to O'Hare multiple times, as I told you. I flew to Ukraine more than once. So this part of the trip was old hat for me. Uh, It was like I had done this before. It was no problem. Drive myself up to O'Hare, get to my usual parking garage off to the international terminal I go, and everything's going pretty normal. At the time, while I was waiting to get on the plane to go to Istanbul, my flight plan was from Chicago to Istanbul and then Istanbul to Warsaw. I was looking to try and find flights out of Warsaw to Mexico. Of course, I was looking for direct flights to Tijuana as best I could get because if you don't have a visa into the United States, they won't let you even lay over here. 
And the reason is because what I talked about earlier, if you can get to that port of entry, you can claim humanitarian parole. So they don't want people flying in and just saying, oh, hey, I want to stay here, which they could do. So that was kind of one of the real tricky aspects of this was finding a flight plan that actually bypassed the United States entirely, which was rather difficult, I'll tell you, but we did eventually get there. So I'm looking for flights before I leave. I can't find any at the time to get to Tijuana. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have to deal with this when I get to Poland because it was rather difficult finding a flight on your phone. I know that they have apps for it, but I'll tell you, they may not necessarily be as user-friendly as you think. So off to Istanbul we go, no problem getting there. Honestly, I know people usually complain about international flights. I love them because I get to completely check out, watch movies, just kind of take it easy and This was probably the last point in the trip where I got to take it easy because things really got tricky once we got to Warsaw. Land in Warsaw, go through customs, no problem. Go to the uh, convenience store to pick up a few things. And I will warn you, if you are going to Europe and you don't like carbonated water, make sure you get uh, still water because you can have a a little surprise when you crack that water bottle there and it uh, tastes a little bit uh, eh, less appealing uh, in my opinion. But Got something. I got myself some water, and then I made the decision that my hotel that I had booked was only like a mile and a half away from the airport, right? And I'm like, well, I walk my German Shepherd three times a day, and we walk no less than a mile at a time. I can totally do this in my sleep, right? Well, let me tell you that Apple Maps sent me <laughs> through, let's just say, a seedy portion of Warsaw, mm. all right? I was walking over overpasses and at one point i was basically going through what looked to be somewhat similar to a homeless area i saw like discarded mattresses and things i'm thinking to myself what in the world had ever happened on that mattress i really don't want to know but what i basically kind of came through was my next lesson is when you're in an unfamiliar place if you can use public transportation, I highly recommend it. At the whole time, I was like, man, I should have just taken the freaking taxi, right? I really should have just paid the five bucks or however much it was going to be to take the taxi. But me being the smart person I was, decided to walk it. And we'll have a uh, second lesson tied to that a little later. But when you're going through an unfamiliar area and there may be people around that you don't know, body language is so important. So when I was going through these areas, first and foremost, I wasn't trying to hide or look weak. I was walking with confidence, my head's up. I'm moving forward at a normal pace, but I wasn't overly making eye contact with people. I wasn't trying to stare them down or anything like that. Thankfully, I didn't run into anybody. But I mean, at one point I was walking through a construction site and I just walked through like I own the place and nobody said a word to me. So when you're in a situation like that in an unfamiliar area, half of the battle in my point, in my thought is mental. And if you can project that, you know, you're in charge of this situation, you knew, you know what's going on. A lot of people will be able to sense that and won't want to mess with you. Uh, And that's kind of one one of the things that I had this, you know, revelation while I was doing this. And one of the reasons what you just described, which is 100 percent true, I've experienced it in my own life, not in the situation you were in by any means, much lower stakes. But one of the things that makes it hard for American men in particular to do what you just said is that we are taught from an early age in school and elsewhere that just acting confidently, not cocky or not aggressive, Mm -hmm. just acting confidently and walking with a purpose, I think is a great phrase. When we do that, it's toxic masculinity and we are evil and everything bad uh, on the planet is our fault. And we've had American men is when I say we, we've had a lot of our natural, uh, neutral self-confidence, I would call it, that neutral meaning not aggressive, neutral self-confidence sort of beaten out of us socially. And so you have to almost um, consciously act just confident because it's not something we're allowed to do in normal life. So I want to let folks know that they need to, especially I'm speaking to you, American men, um, you need to go out of your way to relearn how to just walk. (laughs) So yeah, keep going. No, it's really true. And I kind of, just to segue, just for a quick second on this, it reminds me a lot of when I I got my first dog uh, that was by myself. It was an Alaskan Malamute. He was very headstrong. And I talked to the breeder about this and she talked about being the alpha. And I know there's a lot of negativity around the term alpha male, right? But it's not from a point of, 
you know, aggression or anything like that. It's a point of confidence and just, you can feel confident in my confidence, if that makes sense. And just having that sense, like, yeah, I'm in control of this situation. Everything's going to be okay. I know it's been beaten out of a lot of us, but guys, you have got to start working on this because it will get you through a lot of situations that could be dicey otherwise. Uh, so really great point there, uh, Glenn. So let's keep going. So you bet. I get to the, I, I get to the hotel, right? I had booked the hotel before and uh, really nice place. I was there in like the middle of downtown Warsaw. Uh, they spoke English, which was wonderful because I hadn't heard English in, you know, about oh, a good 18 hours. So that was pretty cool. I uh, got up to the room, got showered, got ready to go. And uh, I knew my mother-in-law was on the train from Gdansk down to Warsaw. So I had a little bit of time start digging for flights again. I'm still having the same problem. I can find flights, but they are ridiculously expensive. Like per ticket, we're talking about who two G's one way. And I'm like, that is way too much. Uh, and again, the problem was that they were all going through the United States, which I couldn't do. I knew that I couldn't do it beforehand. So I'm, I'm searching, I'm searching. Then I get the text that mom is downstairs. So I go down, get her, you know, we hug, we come back to the room. Uh, of course, at this point, I hadn't really eaten much of anything except airplane food in a while. Uh, so we decided to go for lunch uh, there. Uh, she knew the languages are fairly similar. I won't say that they're the same, but we were able to eat through a conversation with the place that we went. We got shawarma, which is amazing. Uh, and we went back to the, the hotel after that, and I kept looking and looking, and I had found a flight that was going to be perfect. It was at a price point I was comfortable with. Go to book it. The minute I book it, it's sold out. Like, of course. Because at this point, everybody is trying to get over to Mexico because the Ukrainians understood this was the only way that they could get into the United States. Eventually, later that night, I was able to find a flight for the next day, uh, went ahead and booked it. We're good to go. So initially, the flight I wanted was going to go from Warsaw to Heathrow, which is in London, uh, and then straight down to Mexico City because I could not find anything to Tijuana. But I figured if we can get into Mexico that can at least give us a jumping off point. Uh, and so eventually I was able to find one. We had to take another stop. We had to go from uh, Warsaw to Zurich, Zurich to Heathrow, and then Heathrow to Mexico City. Not ideal, but it, it is what it is. At least we had a flight. Uh, and so next morning I learned the lesson not to walk uh, through the bad part of Warsaw. I requested that they order us a taxi. <laughs> uh, and the uh, taxi came and picked us up. Uh, we went uh, and went to the airport early because uh, mother-in-law needed to get a test for the unspeakable virus. Uh, Thank you for not using that term and getting us more deplatformed. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand the, the, the thing that happened a couple of years ago. Yes. Uh, so we went and we got that test done. And uh, you know, the night before, I had researched everything that we we're going to need uh, to get my mother-in-law into Mexico. I looked to make sure that we didn't need a visa to get in the U.K., we didn't need one uh, just for transit because we weren't staying there. Uh, I purchased what I thought was going to be the correct visa for entering to Mexico, and we'll get that to that in a minute. Uh, but uh, so we had everything to go. Uh, I, I was even able to print out the visa uh, at the hotel, which was very nice. We get Chris, to the airport. We're going to have to be rude. Oh here. yeah, we're going okay. yeah. to have to take a break here. Hard break for radio. Okay. And honestly, it's going to be a cliffhanger. As you just heard, you do not want to hear the rest of this story. Join us on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One Water Filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One Water Filter Gravity Systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E. USA.com. Most tested, most trusted. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, Make solid and affordable body armor for normal people. 
Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself and save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times, the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love new mana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for rejoining us. We're just getting started with our conversation with Chris about his bug out experience in Ukraine. For even more, though, oh my gosh, stick around for the after show if you're a Patreon supporter. And of course, you can find that at our website, prepping2-0.com. Click on the Patreon button. You know what would have come in handy when Chris was leaving Ukraine and, and Poland and the whole war situation? That would be having a pistol caliber carbine in nine millimeter on an AR platform with a left-handed uh, side charging handle. Now there are some legalities that might prevent that from happening in Europe, but get yourself a Gibbs Arms pistol caliber carbine. They make straight ARs by the way, but um, pistol caliber carbine and Chris being a firearms expert, we're gonna talk about some gun things in the after show. Oh, that's right, if you're a Patreon, you get to hear it. But pistol caliber carbines make a lot of sense. They have a very niche role and they do it well. So consider Gibbs Arms, G-I-B-B-Z for your truck gun. Archive Dive, episode 76, which aired in April 2020, was on something, Dogs for Preppers. You're saying, Prepping 2.0, where'd you come up with the name for that? Is it the next level of prepping? Uh, Yes, it is. Chris mentioned bug out bags, very important topic, but when you get past bug out bags, that's prepping 1.0, you get to the next level of things like dogs and you know how preppers should view dogs, things dogs can do, considerations with dogs. We give you more here on Prepping 2.0. We'll keep telling this story, Chris. Thanks for bringing us back in there. And yeah, dogs, very, very important to say the least. So, all right. So we get to the airport in Warsaw, right? We get the negative test result. Everything is good to go. We go down to the ticketing counter and this is where things start to go a little haywire. 
And this is honestly the point where I understood how important it was that I came to basically escort my mother-in-law through this process. She'd never been through international flight before for the most part, and obviously not speaking the language there very well was gonna be a hindrance for her as well. So we get to the ticketing counter, they wanna see all the paperwork, I hand them the visa, her passport. Of course, getting my boarding pass is no problem because I have that magic dark blue passport that says United States of America on it. But getting hers was a little more tricky, but you know, I showed them everything, they were happy with it, they saw that she was traveling with me, so we get everything gonna go, text the wife, hey, we got our boarding passes, we're gonna go through security, cool, we go through security, get out to the terminal, we're sitting at the terminal, and the Wi-Fi in the airport dies. So at this point, my wife has no idea whether we made it through security or not, she has no idea whether we got on the plane or not, and they even came over on an announcement on the PA there in the airport at Frederick Chopin Airport in Warsaw. They're like, yeah, we know the Wi-Fi's out, we're working on it. I'm like, okay, that's great for me. But this kind of really segues into my next prepper lesson is basically when you're in a situation like this, everything that can go wrong will potentially go wrong. I won't say that everything will go wrong because some things will go right for you. But I think the most important part in this situation is to really collect yourself. Just take that deep breath, relax, understand, again, going back to that confidence discussion that we talked about, having that confidence that you're in charge of the situation and understanding that freaking out doesn't do you any good. The only thing it's gonna do is it's gonna make your situation worse. So just take that moment to take that deep cleansing breath collect yourself and understand that you've got this and that you're in charge. 100%. I'm so glad you're making this point, not only making the point in general, but backing it up with the context so people can really understand it. Panic gets you nowhere. It only leads to bad decisions. And that's why we say on this show that the second most important prep is mental strength. The first one, in our opinion, is spiritual preparation, being right with God, but we don't This isn't a religious show, but we have to be honest and say that is our opinion is the number one prep. Number two is mental. Here's a great way of looking at it by way of a humorous story. So this is humorous. Your situation was not humorous. It was pretty serious. I talked to a friend of mine by a lake here in Montana and said, hey, our father-in-law is in town. He would really like to go on a boat ride at Flathead Lake. Flathead Lake's amazing. It's beautiful. And she said, yeah, great, come on out. We have a boat and we'll take you out. And I thought, well, that's really cool. So we get to the dock and her husband is there, nice guy. He throws me the keys and he points to the boat in the slip. And I said, "Uh, you're not gonna drive? He said, no, you're driving the boat. And I said, "Uh, okay, well, what I didn't tell him was the last time I drove a boat, I don't even know if that's a correct term, driving a boat, but in my uneducated world it is. Uh, Last time I drove a boat, I almost killed somebody. So I said, yeah, I got this. My point with this story is not overconfidence and bravado. Here's what went through my head, and I think it would really help people in dire situations for this thought to also go through their head, and that is this. People do this all the time. Whatever it is that I've never done before or I think is hard, people pull this off every day you don't need a master's degree in boatology in order to drive a 26 foot bay liner right these things are designed to be able for regular people to do the reason i bring that up is human beings have been successfully surviving for a very long time and so what helped me in the boat situation, which is one one thousandth of a real SHTF situation. What helped me get through that was thinking about what it's gonna be like when I successfully repark, I think that's the word, I park this boat successfully in the marina, and then I can tell the funny story about uh, almost killing people. So think about it that way. People do this all the time, people who've never done something before, and it's gonna work out and keep that in mind. Does that resonate with what you were thinking during this? Absolutely. Honestly, the whole time I was going through this, it was really like, okay, this is not the first time somebody has done this. We've had people who obviously have made it to Mexico without issue. So if they can do it, I can do it too. And that was really kind of where my head was at. And the other thing was like, my whole mindset is like, I'm going to get this done. I need to do this for my wife. I need to do this to make sure that she's feel comfortable, that her mother is okay. And this is important to me. So I wanted to make sure I got this done. So we're there in the airport. We're sitting without Wi-Fi, and like, all right, well, it is what it is. Flight from Zurich leaves on time. No problem. 
They gave us a chocolate on the airplane. I had Ooh. not eaten breakfast. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so I had a big breakfast of a little chocolate square. It was good, but it wasn't a lot. <laughs> then we get to Zurich. No problems going through customs. We get to our gate for our next flight to Heathrow, and there's no airplane there. And we only had about an hour and a half left on a two-hour layover. And I'm like, this doesn't seem good to me. And so... Our flight time comes and goes. They come on the PA. They're like, yeah, the plane just left Scotland. I'm like, hmm, okay, well, that's a problem because we only had, again, about another two-hour layover in Heathrow. So at this point, I have resigned the fact that we're missing our flight in London to Mexico. So I'm trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to handle this because I don't have a visa for the mother-in-law, but I didn't need to have one to transit. But now it's looking like we're probably going to have to stay there overnight. So... I'm like, all right, well, we'll figure that out when we get there because we already are here in the terminal. Flight arrives. There apparently had been a huge computer crash with British Airways where multiple flights were delayed. This one actually had to spend extra time in Scotland de-icing because I guess they had an ice storm up there the night before, which was good. I'm glad that they de-iced the plane. That's important. You know, everybody got there safe and then we got out safe. So it was fine. But then on that flight, we had a massive meal of a Nutrigrain bar. Mm. Uh, you know, the feast for a king right there, mm. let me tell you. And My so we get to, I know, man, it's so filling, <laughs> uh, being a little bit sarcastic there, but we get to Heathrow, no problem. We go into the terminal. I check. I'm like, oh, maybe if our flight got delayed two hours, maybe that flight to Mexico City got delayed two hours too. No, it definitely had not. So it was gone. And we get there, I start walking basically, and the British Airways people tell us where to go. We get in line to get rescheduled. And I'm not exaggerating this. We were standing in line for eight hours. And I had not eaten all day. And I want to bring in, this kind of brought in my next prepper lesson that I wanted to bring up is food is definitely important, but if you don't have it for an elongated period of time, you can fight through that. You can fight through the hunger pangs that you'll get in your stomach. Eventually, they will subside. Having some extra water on hand is helpful. The people there at the airport were kind enough to, you know, hand out water bottles to the people who were standing in line. But they had, like, two employees working on this line of over 200 people that were delayed. And we were standing there from about 3 p.m. local time till about 11 o'clock that night before they were able to get us. Wow. You know, and so true about water is more important than food. And Shelby will tell you, and she'll make me look bad, that I get hangry, apparently, when my blood sugar drops. I get a little persnippity, I think, is a word that I just made up. Sounds pretty good. There's nothing I can say here that will make any good outcome happen. So I'm just going to sit over here and smile. And I had a nice breakfast, by the way, before the show. So we're not dealing with hangryism now. By the way, Chris, I make up at least one new word on every episode. And surprisingly, people know what I'm talking about. So that's the beauty of the English language. So, but you're so right about food versus water. I recently packed up sort of a emergency kits for my new truck and really heavy on water, really light on food because Water, you can only go three days without. Food, you can go 30 days without. Another way of looking at it is the worst case scenario way of looking at it. I don't know if you're familiar with what it's like to die of dehydration. It's absolutely awful. Not only does it happen sooner, but it's way worse than starvation. Mm -hmm. And so people need to get past their comfortable American lifestyle of there's always food, you know, within arm's reach. There's always food. If not arm's reach, there's a drive through. There's always going to be some place to eat. And we've become accustomed to it. And much like we were talking about earlier with the boat example, people have got through this in the past. And so you can get through it, too. But thank you so much for making the point about food not being as important as people would think going into this. Yeah, water equals life. That's really what it comes down to. And, you know, the old adage, you can go three days without water, but I'll tell you, that's going to be a horrific three days uh, if you make it that long. So water can really help you through a tough situation if you don't have a lot of food. So we were finally able to get to the ticketing office, right, or the booth rather. And they're like, okay, yeah, we've already rebooked you. Here's your vouchers for the hotel. Uh, you're just going to have to go through customs. And I'm like, hang on a second here. It's like my mother-in-law doesn't have a visa. How are we going to handle this? He's like, oh, where's she from? 
I'm like, oh, she's from Ukraine. He's like, oh, she's from Ukraine. I'm like, yeah, that's what I just said. <laughs> oh, he's like, dude, there's no problem. Don't worry about it. Just go talk to the customs guy. I'm like, all right. So again, with the whole confidence thing that we were talking about earlier, I'm approaching this like, okay, how can I lighten the situation a little bit? So I walk up to the customs guy, really lovely gentleman. And I say to him, hey, I talked with the British Airways guys back there and they told me to come to the coolest guy at customs. And they said that was you. <laughs> I love it. As a former lobbyist, I love what you just did there. I love it. Thank you. It really just kind of lightened the mood. And I kind of explained the situation. He's like, oh, it's not a problem, sir. I'll give her a one day visa. He's like, when is your flight out tomorrow? I told him it was like two in the afternoon. He's like, okay, no problem. So he basically stamped in her passport a one day visa for her stay in the UK. No problem. We get out. And of course, again, I had learned my lesson from Warsaw, take the fricking taxi. So we get a taxi to the hotel, we get to the hotel and they had actually left the kitchen open for us. So, you know, this issue that they were having with all these delays was fairly widespread from what I understood because a lot of these hotels had been booked up. And so we go, we have a nice dinner. Uh, It was kind of Indian themed and we get into the hotel room. I was able to talk to the wife, and at this point, I booked what I thought was going to be a connection from Mexico City to Tijuana, because our plan was still to go to Tijuana, because that was where everybody was going, right, that we had heard. So we rest that night. It was good because, you know, I'd been standing for eight hours in line. Uh, It was good to just get the clothes off, get the shoes off, get cleaned up. We go, and then I like to say the next day was the best breakfast we had on the entire trip. Uh, I mean, if you have ever had a European continental breakfast before, it is something that we definitely lack here in hotels in in the States. They had everything you could possibly think of. They had, you know, pastries. We had eggs cooked to order. They had, uh, you know, fruit. Uh, A big thing in Europe is having the, the lunch meat at breakfast. They had that. They brought us a coffee pot to the table. It was spectacular. And after having not eaten for basically an entire day, it was a very welcome sight. And so at this point, I'm like, all right, let's load up, right? Because we don't know when we might eat again. Uh, So I definitely took the opportunity to take a few extra trips to the buffet line. We get to the... We get to the airport, right, and there it is packed uh, there at Heathrow at this time of day. There were the lines were insane. If you think lines in Chicago are bad, you ain't seen nothing like at Heathrow. So we go there, and of course, both my mother-in-law were basically just carrying carry-ons. We didn't have any check bags, which again was a huge benefit to us packing light, like we talked about earlier. And so I go and I talk to one of the the um, the British Airways employees. And I was like, Hey, can we use this digital check-in? Oh yeah, that's not a problem. Go ahead and do it. Give it a shot. So I went over, scanned our, our, um, our e-tickets that they had given us the day before went through. Okay. Gave us our boarding passes. And, uh, you know, we go over security, right? So I, they had a a facial like camera you had to stare into, you had to scan your boarding pass and then kind of like these Star Trek doors open up and you're able to go through and get into the security area. So I'm like, okay, my mother-in-law doesn't really speak all that much English, so it's better to show than to tell. So I scan my boarding pass. They take the little picture. All good. I walk right in. She goes to scan her boarding pass. Nope. Denied. And at this point, I'm in the secure zone and she's not. So she tries it a couple times. Eventually, an employee comes over and they're like, oh, they want to see her visa. I'm like, okay, well, can I go with her? They're like, no, you can't. I'm like, okay. They're like, if you leave now, you your boarding pass is basically, you, it's a one-time, it's a one-shot deal. So I wouldn't be able to get back into security without buying another ticket, which I was not about to do. So I'm like, okay. So I call the wife. I kind of tell her, hey, we've hit a bit of a snag uh, and kind of explained to her what was happening. Uh, a, a British Airways employee was gracious enough to take her uh, up to the front of the, the line to do this. I found this out later. But of course, I'm sitting there in security. I have no idea what's going on. And then my wife says the line of the trip, which is... If you can't get her here, just send her back to Poland. And I'm like, honey, I'm not sending her back to Poland. It's like, we can, we can do this. We'll figure it out. If we have to do, if I have to buy another visa, if we have to, you know, buy another ticket for your mom, we'll do it. Wow. That confidence kind of that, that, that line will be repeated more than once. I'll tell you right now. (laughs) I wanted to, uh, Uh, to back up and, and, and mm -hmm. tease out a point with you. Uh, you mentioned, that your mother-in-law didn't speak a lot of English. Um, Mm -hmm. what role do you speak Ukrainian? A little. Uh, I, I speak more. Uh, I have more Russian. Uh, oh, 
how to sell. I do Ukrainian. So, so, uh, (laughs) um, how does language play a factor? And admittedly, this is an international bug out. And so this wouldn't mm-hmm. be happening if you're bugging out of Seattle to say Montana, by the way, don't come here. So um, <laughs> so it's 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 kind of situation specific. But if you could touch on the importance of either knowing another language, and I'm not suggesting listeners learn all of the hundreds of languages that are spoken in the world, but at least having a plan or a translator or quick thinking? I mean, talk about the language factor. Yeah, I mean, obviously that was a factor when I was dating my wife that she and I kind of battled through, but you know, having someone with you who speaks the language is so critically important because like I was talking about back in Warsaw, if I wasn't there to explain to the people at the airport, like, hey, here's her visa, she doesn't need a visa for the UK, things like that, they would have never let her on the plane. Uh, so at that point we wouldn't have had to send her back to Poland cause she was in Poland already and she wasn't getting out. Uh, so, you know, being able to have so, at least someone that you can speak some of the language with to have a conversation is so critically important, uh, especially if you're in an international area. Now, I know a lot of places still speak English, uh, which was helpful, especially in London. Uh, you know, they, you might say that they, they speak the queen's English there, right? <laughs> uh, jolly good. Uh, but yeah, if if she had had to do this all by herself, she would have never done it. Uh, it would have it would have failed in the first attempt, basically. And so, uh, with me being able to be there as a mediator uh, to try and you know get things moving along, and you know having a little more international travel experience was so critical. So if you're in a situation where you know you're bugging out or uh, you're going somewhere where they speak a different language, having some knowledge of that or at least a way to talk whether it be through a translation app or something like that is incredibly important. Wow. Excellent. Keep going. Yeah. So uh, this leads right into our next uh, prepper lesson that I have for you is basically unforeseen circumstances are going to happen uh, where you might get separated from your group because at this point I'm in security mother-in-law is out there with somebody who I have no idea who they are. Uh, but basically be prepared to handle things on the fly because you may have to act independently uh, so being prepared for that type of situation, at least mentally ahead of time, can give you a leg up so that you're ready to go when that situation happens. And again, you're not panicking and freaking out. You know, adaptability is so key yep. to everything, and it fits very well within the category of mental toughness and mental preparation. Mm-hmm. And it also fits well within your point about confidence and realizing you're going to get this done. You may not know exactly how, but this will get done. All of that adds to an adaptability mindset, which is critical. I I have friends in the special operations community. I've never been in the military. I'm not trying to imply that I'm cool. I do have cool friends. And my special operations friends to a man will say that adaptability is what really matters because when you're doing things like getting people out of foreign countries, you need to be adaptable. So we have a few more minutes left here, Chris, for okay. this show. Yeah. And just for our listeners out there, folks, we're going to be doing a two-parter on this because this is such a, an adventurous kind of a story. that With we, so many lessons oh, yeah. laced oh my into gosh. it. We, didn't, we wanted to give this story its due diligence. So a question I have for you as, as we're – because we're about ready to get to the part of the story where we you get to Mexico. But as mm-hmm. I'm listening to you talk, I'm hearing you talk about your mother-in-law. And I and I'm putting myself in her shoes, and she's an. I don't know what she's like. She could be ninety years old. She could be fifty nine years old. And and you know, she seemed also yes, from what you're point. telling me, to be adaptable, to be yeah, you know, to be flexible. So tell us, give it. Tell us what she's like that made it, that made this easier for you to accomplish. And she knows that you're there to get her out, and she's putting her trust into you. So tell us about her a little bit here in our last few minutes of the show. You know, I would say that, uh, of course, she grew up in post-Soviet Ukraine, so there are definitely some mindset differences between, you know, someone who grew up in the United States and someone who grew there. But I would say that she had, uh, you know, the trust in me that I was going to be able to get this done. And uh, she basically really just followed my lead. Uh, And, you know, I was kind of the mediator between her and and my wife, her daughter, uh, which kind of helped a little bit, uh, you know, to kind of keep everybody calm. But 
I would say that she was very, uh, you know, very calm and collected the entire time, which really helped a lot because if I had to deal with a hysterical mother-in-law and all of these issues that we ran into, it would have been 10 times harder. So, you know, being able to, you know, trust your family and being able to say, okay, I'm in a situation that I'm not familiar with, but this person is, I'm going to, you know, be confident in their confidence. Kind of like I talked about earlier, so critical for being able to get things done and getting accomplished what you need to get accomplished. So, oh my gosh. So, so true. So in other words, don't, don't be the high maintenance Kardashian going to Mexico via Warsaw, right? Go ahead. Glenn. Well, it, it helps. Yeah. And, and uh, this, this show isn't about our books, but sometimes there's a point made in this show that is well illustrated by one of our books and uh, the character of uh, Dr. Foxy uh, in, in my books, 299 Days, uh, in the beginning of the story, she is very uh, much a feminist and doesn't want to um, <laughs> be led by a man and uh, doesn't turn out well for her. And then she gets a change of, of heart when she sees the circumstances around her and she starts to view um, having male leadership as as a team obviously it's not a superiority thing and an authoritarian thing uh, it's not a dictate by any means but it is just okay in this setting especially for this period of time uh, this man has a plan he has some particular skills um, I should be thankful of that. And that doesn't mean he's the Lord and master of my life. So I'm just saying this because I don't know your mother-in-law, but she does not sound like an American feminist. And if she were American feminist, I think this may not have turned out as well because she would have been saying, no, no, no. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why do you have to be in charge? So, folks, I hope um, we need to kind of wrap things up. But I wanted to give Chris just a few a moment here, about a minute or so, Chris, for you to tell us how if people want to reach you, how can they reach you? And I, and, and I think you talked to me about a coupon code you had going on for our listeners. Listeners love coupon yeah. codes. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. If you would like to reach out to me directly, feel free. You can email me anytime. Christopher, my full name with a C uh, at ammo.com. So it's C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R at ammo.com. And if you would like a free $20 off coupon, your next ammo purchase, uh, we would love to give that to all of your listeners. Just go to ammo.com forward slash Chris, uh, C-H-R-I-S. Uh, all we need is your email. I promise you, we do not sell your email. We will not spam you. We send uh, one uh, newsletter a week. And we'll get that coupon code sent over to you for your next purchase so you can make sure that you're prepped up on ammo for any situation. Nice. I'm thinking Glenn might be using her coupon code. It's do you true. guys have 4570? Oh, bro, who, who do you think you're talking <laughs> to here? What? This isn't rookie.com. This is ammo.com. This is ammo.com. <laughs> you got it, brother. Awesome. Awesome. So Chris will get you set up with a good coupon. Well, yes, good coupon code and great ammo over at ammo.com. So folks, like we always talk about... And this is this show has amplified it tenfold. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. From Benjamin Franklin, folks, have a great week, everyone. Adios. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.